Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Might you open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we continue this study on the supremacy of Christ in the life of the church. Suppose you were to get a letter from someone who is in prison. And they wrote you some things, some advice, and you were kind of not too sure about them, but they said that, that they know someone who knows you. And they wrote and started to give you some words of encouragement, and you might be a little bit skeptical about that, right? Well, this is exactly what happens in the book of Colossians. Paul is in prison. He's writing a letter to the church at Colossae. He has not met them yet. He knows them through Epaphras, who, who most likely planted that church. And so now he's writing them to encourage them. And he spent so much time in the first part of chapter one exalting Christ because that's what he wanted to do with this letter. He wanted to be sure to combat the false teachers there. He wanted to exalt Christ that he forgot really to spend, I believe, to spend some time introducing himself. So that's kind of what he does in this section of the, the, the passage. And he gives three vital ministries that he, as an apostle, was engaged in, in, in a way of introducing himself to the church at Colossae. So I want to look at those three and look at them as three vital ministries that any spiritual leader should take place in. So whether you're in a place like I am, leading a church as a pastor, serving in a place of leadership in the church, maybe you have a a role leading a small group, or maybe you're just a a person who leads others. These are some qualities, some characteristics, some, some ministries that you should be actively involved in. So if you would follow along as I read, beginning in verse 21... Paul writes these words, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, but now he, referring to Christ, has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. That's an important statement. We'll come back to that. To present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not sifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. So Paul is letting them know he's a servant of the gospel of Christ, the the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel. He's a servant of that gospel. Now, verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. It's not that Paul is saying he's adding anything to the, to the effect of the, of the cross, but he's saying now in his life, he is, he is suffering for them, the church, because of his passion for them. I have become its servant, the servant of the church, the people of God, according to God's administration or God's ministry that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known. Verse 26, the mystery, and that word mystery there is not something that's still hidden, but something that's been revealed, and he explains it here. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love that phrase. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
I labor for this, Paul writes, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. You see what Paul is saying here? I love you, church, and I, I want you to know, even though we haven't met yet, that I, I have a passion. I'm a servant of the church, and I want you to know this incredible gospel, and that I'm a part of that, and I'm, I'm committed to you. And he asked them to be a part of that with him. So three things that we're going to highlight today as ministry leaders that we need to be actively involved in, sharing the gospel, suffering for the sake of the gospel, and then ultimately striving for the sake of other believers. Number one, if you're taking notes, share the gospel. The first ministry that's vital for a ministry leader is to share the gospel. It's in verse 21 through 23. Let's highlight this one, first of all, in verse 21. He says, in this gospel, everyone is alienated from God. Look at verse 21. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds. That word alienated means to be estranged or separated from God. So the first part of the gospel is this. This gospel that he shares, people are separated from God. They are alienated from God. Another word uh, is estranged or hostile toward God. That's who you were. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, we use it all the time, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are at odds with God in and of ourselves. In Romans 8, verse 7, the Bible says the mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God and does not submit to God. So Paul wants us to know that before we come to know Christ, we're alienated from him. We're estranged. We're, in, in, a, in a sense, we're at war with God. You may not have thought of yourself that way if you're a follower of Christ, or maybe you're seeking him as being at war with God, but if you're not for him, you're against him. You're at, you're at odds with him. You're estranged from him. Sometimes people will come for counseling and they'll say, well, I'm estranged from my husband or from my wife. And what they're saying is there's a war going on and it needs to be reconciled. And sometimes as a pastor, I'm asked to step in the middle of that war. Not a fun thing. You know what happens when you step in the middle of a fight to break up a fight? You know who gets hit? <laughs> the person trying to break up the fight. Sometimes it doesn't work in the, in the sense that neither one of them want to hear what God's word has to say. And it breaks my heart as a, as a pastor that often by the time I get to sit down with a couple, they've already checked out. They're, I'm their last resort. Maybe Christian counselor, we have a Christian counselor who comes here a couple of days a week with South Texas Children's Home Family Ministries. And many times as people come to, to her, by the time they get there, they've already checked out. It breaks my heart. That's what it means to be alienated from someone. I'm in, I don't want to be reconciled to them. But thank God he wanted to reconcile us to himself. So that's the second point. Everyone is alienated from God. Secondly, everyone needs to be reconciled to God. We need to be reconciled. Look at verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. In essence, Paul is saying in the gospel, you were away from God, separated from God, but God took the initiative. Who's the first one to act? God did. You say, well, that really isn't true in my relationship with him. I'm the one that started seeking him. Well, folks, he drew you so that you could seek him. It always starts with God. God takes the initiative. Isaiah 53, 6, we are all like sheep have gone astray. We are astray from him. But God laid on him the sin of us all. He took the initiative. I love Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Still alienated from God. 
Christ died for us. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior, you've never entered into a love relationship with him by confessing that you've sinned and need a Savior, I want you to know he is pursuing you. He knows that you're alienated from him, and he wants to reconcile you. We mentioned couples needing reconciliation. That's what has to happen for the, for the enmity, for the, for the war, for the estrangement to end. That couple has to say, we're willing to be reconciled to one another. God knows we're alienated from him. He's seeking us. You don't know Christ as Savior. He wants you to be reconciled to himself and to present you, as, as Paul writes in here, holy, faultless, blameless, in other words, free from accusation. By the, word, that word, by the way, that word holy means to be set apart for God's use. It doesn't mean you're super spiritual and you have a halo, and when you walk around, people see that halo. To be holy means that your life, your, your entire attitude of life is set apart for his use. When you receive Christ as Savior, when he reconciled you to himself, he set you aside, not to be different in a sense that everybody looks at you up on a pedestal, but to be used for his special use. You belong to him. The Bible says you've been bought with a price. You know that verse? Therefore, what? Glorify God with your body. You belong to him. You've been set apart to be made holy. Growing up, my dad, is, his hobby was a, a woodworker, and he had a workshop in back, and we'd go out there, and there were certain tools that were reserved for certain things. And I learned very early that you did not use a screwdriver as a hammer. I learned very early that you did not use one of my dad's good wood chisels, yeah, as a screwdriver. How did I learn that? You can guess how I learned that. <laughs> but here's what my dad taught me. Kevin, those tools are for a specific use. They're, they're for a special use. That chisel is to chisel wood. It's to carve wood. That's what it's designed for. And I thought about that, and as I'm thinking about Paul's words here, that I've been made holy, set apart to him. That is what I'm to be now. I'm to be a vessel used for what he wants, not what I want. See, now I'm a chisel, and I'm to be chiseling wood, not working as a screwdriver to fix my motorcycle. God says, I've set you apart for this special purpose, this special privilege to be faultless, holy, blameless, free from accusation. The false teachers were constantly accusing those believers at, at Colossae and saying that they shouldn't believe in Christ the way they did. It's, it's interesting there when, when um, Paul writes in verse, um, verse 22, he has reconciled us, uh, reconciled you by his physical body through his death. That's, that's specifically addressed, I believe, to the false teachers because they believed that all matter was evil. So they said, surely Christ can't be evil. So he really didn't have a physical body. What happened here was just a spiritual body. He never had a physical body, they said. So Paul, he just lays it all out there. Christ died in the flesh as a physical man. He was fully man, 100% man, 100% God. That's why we call him the God-man. It's interesting here, as, as Paul says, you are, you are faultless, blameless before him to be free from accusation. Who is the accuser? What is, that's another name for Satan, isn't it? He's the one who accuses the brethren. And Revelation says Satan is the, the accuser of the brethren. I love what someone said. Next time the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. He's a defeated foe, folks. He's going to spend eternity in the lake of fire. He is, he is a defeated foe. Don't let the enemy attack you. I brought something with me, to, to, with me today to share. It's, it's, a, it's a handout that was put together by a friend of mine, Ed Lamance. He's a, a pastoral counselor. And it's called, I'm a child of the king. And it goes through, and I'm just gonna start reading this to you. 
Because this has been so powerful in my life and in the lives of others. When the enemy comes to you and tells you you're worthless, you're useless, you'll never amount to anything, you're not spiritual, you don't love God enough, you're a terrible mother, you're a terrible Christian, all those things. And he just wrote from scripture, because of who Jesus Christ is, because he is my savior and my Lord, I am a child of the king, a child of the king of kings and lord of lords. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realm. I am chosen, accepted, and included. I am a citizen of heaven, a member of God's household. I am loved by God unconditionally, without reservation. I belong to him, having been bought by him with the precious blood of Jesus. I have an eternal life, and I will be saved from all of God's wrath to come. Guaranteed, I am a Christian. I am not just different than what I do. My identity is changed. Who I am has changed. Everything has become brand new. I am a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. And it goes on, and that's just the first several of many. And he has a scripture that's, that's attached to each one of those. You know why I read that? Because the enemy is constantly accusing you, telling you you are not anything, that you don't amount to anything, that Jesus doesn't mean that much, that you really haven't changed, that when you prayed that prayer, it really didn't mean a thing. Look at your life. You still sin. What's wrong with you? And all those lies that come from the enemy, let me tell you, you read those truths from God's word. You replace the lies of Satan with the truth of God's word. One of the discussion points in our, our small group this morning was, what about people who are in bondage? What, how do we get free, set free from that bondage? And I said, very clearly, I believe the word of God has to replace the lies of the enemy. When the devil says to you, you're worthless, you say, uh-uh. So what God's word says about me, here's a scripture that says, I am precious in his sight. When the enemy says, you can't be forgiven for that sin because that is so bad, you go to the word of God that says, maybe you go to 1 John 1, 9, if we are faithful and just to confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You find a truth from God's word to replace the lies of the enemy, and the accuser is shut down every time. Faultless, blameless before him. So you're alienated, you need to be reconciled. Third thing, everyone can have a future hope in Christ. This is a third part of the gospel. Not just to be brought into relationship with him, to be a part of the family of God, to be reconciled, but to have a future hope. Note he says there, he says, if you remain, he's not saying that, that you might fall away. He's just saying that when you remain, it will be evidence that you belong to him. We as Baptists have had this saying for years, uh, once saved, always saved. I think a better way to say that is if saved, always saved. If your conversion experience was genuine, you can be sure that it is, it is secure and you have a hope in Christ. Paul says in verse five of, of chapter one, we talked about this earlier, there is a hope reserved for you in heaven. Wasn't it good to know that you have a reservation? Isn't it good to know that Jesus Christ paid the price, took care of everything for you, and there's a place waiting for you? That's the gospel. Not just that you have a, 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 the forgiveness of sin reconciled with God, but that you have a, a future home for eternity with him. We were on a vacation in Pennsylvania last week, and I appreciate the opportunity to get away. Uh, some of our friends that were at Kelly's family that were with had some points to, to get us a, a hotel room in Newark so we could get to the airport quickly. And it worked out great. We got their points, and I love that when somebody shares their points <laughs> And so we had this free hotel room, and it was exciting because it was an adventure to get from where we were in Pennsylvania to Newark. It was a challenge. We went on Friday morning, rush hour, and we let our little, we let our little navigator tell us where to go. There's traffic up ahead. Exit here. Oh, my goodness. We wound and round around all over the place, and, but I wasn't worried 
I knew he'd eventually get there, and I had a reservation waiting for me. That's the way it is, folks. We have, a, we have a reservation waiting for us, and it may be kind of a roundabout way as you live your Christian life and struggles and trials and things don't go the way you think they should, but you can have the security of knowing that when you get there, when you get to that place at the end of your life, there is a home reserved for you. Share the gospel. That's the gospel. Number two, Paul says he does this. He suffers for the sake of the gospel. He suffers for the sake of the gospel. See, Paul is, is, is disarming the false teachers. He's using this. They ridiculed Paul. They said, basically, you don't need to listen to him because he's in prison. He's a prisoner for the gospel. Don't listen to that guy. And Paul says, yeah, I'm a prisoner for the gospel. I rejoice in that. I, I, find, I find hope in that. It's like the, in the book of uh, Acts, the early, the, early Christians were, the early followers of Christ were called Christians first at Antioch, and it wasn't meant to be a compliment. It was their Christians, their little Christs. Oh, those people, they don't even know how to talk on their own. They don't know how to act on their own. They act just like their Christ that they follow. They're little Christs. We take it as a, as a compliment, don't we? <laughs> Paul's accuser said, well, he's just a prisoner. He's suffering for the gospel. You don't want to follow him. Paul says, oh, yeah, I rejoice in that. I'm suffering for the sake of the gospel. So first of all, he rejoices. If you've already written that down. He rejoices in suffering, verse 24. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Listen, we need to count it as a privilege to suffer for the gospel of Christ, for the cause of Christ. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here, but if you wanna go back to my sermon that I preached on June 9th called Making the Most of Trials, it was out of 1 Peter 4, and where Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that comes your way. It's gonna happen. Go back and, and look at that passage if you want. You can go online, and then I said you can expect trials. You need to embrace trials. You can examine your life in the midst of the trial and entrust your life to God in that. Those, that's, that's the way to do that when a trial comes your way. Paul did that, and I won't spend any more time on that, but let you know that's what you need to see uh, to, get you some under, to get, gain an understanding of why a Christian suffers, what happens in a trial. Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering, my trial. Secondly, he accepts responsibility. We need to do that too. He says in verse 25, I have become its servant. According to God's mercy, I become the servant of the church. He says in verse 27, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of his mystery. Here's what Paul says. I'm suffering for the gospel. I'm suffering because of the, for the church so that others will know the gospel and the truth of the gospel. Because of my position, because of my, my place, because of my bondage, I now have an opportunity to share the gospel with others. He wore his suffering as a badge saying, I count it a, a joy that I have the privilege to suffer for Christ. Go back and look at 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul talks about his shipwrecks and his beatings and his, his arrests and all, and left for dead and all that stuff that Paul went through. He says, I rejoice in that because it means that I'm following Christ. I thought about my son. Uh, Cameron is a BMXer. He's ridden BMX since he was a little kid. And I've noticed those BMX guys, they wear their scars like a badge. He, you know, they will post pictures on the internet of a bloody knee and say, yay. They will post, if there's a video of them doing a trick, they will post about three or four minutes of them crashing multiple times before they land the trick. It's like, it's like this is what it's all about. You need to get hurt to be able to land a trick well. Now, I thought about Paul. It's almost as if he's saying the same kind of thing. He says, you know what? To know that I've done well, to know that I've landed it well, there's going to be some struggles. There's going to be some difficulty. There's going to be some challenges. And Paul says, I rejoice in that. And I accept the responsibility, don't miss this, that my response to trials 
as a follower of Christ, will be a witness to those outside the faith. Paul calls them Gentiles here. Did you see that? My response to the trial and suffering that I go through is going to be a witness to those outside the faith. You have coworkers, you have neighbors, you have family members who are watching you go through the junk of life. Whether it's Hurricane Harvey or a diagnosis from the doctor or a stupid knee surgery. And they're watching you and they want to see how are you going to respond to that? Are you going to throw up your hands and say, woe is me? God doesn't love me anymore? Are you going to stay faithful? They're watching you and it becomes a, a point of witness. I have found over and over in my life when I've gone through a difficulty, whether it's a, a family member dying of cancer or a, a major financial loss, countless times people come alongside and said, how did you get through that? And I've been able to say positive thoughts, positive thoughts. No. I've been able to say I could not have gone through this except for my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Some of you thought I really meant it, didn't you? Positive thoughts. That's an opportunity. Well, I've been pretty lucky today. Well, that was, was luck that I, didn't, I wasn't in that car wreck. I was luck that I survived that. The universe smiled on me. No. When people are curious about your walk because of your walk through the trial, you say it's because of my relationship with Christ. That's the answer. Wear that scar proudly. The third thing Paul did, he shared the gospel. He suffered for the sake of the gospel. And thirdly, he strived for the sake of those believers. So we as followers of Christ, we as ministry leaders need to strive for the sake of other believers. It's in the verse 28 to the end here. First of all, we will utilize a thorough method of communicating the gospel. A thorough method. Verse, verse 28, we proclaim him, that's proclaiming the gospel, that's preaching the gospel, that's sharing the gospel. It doesn't have to be from a pulpit. It can just be as you share Christ. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom. That's it, proclaiming. That's encouraging people to follow Christ, warning him. That's pointing out the dangers of not following him, the hazards that are there. Teaching is showing people where to go. I think about 2 Timothy 3 where the Bible says all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, and encouragement, instruction, and righteousness. He, Paul talks about how, how we're given the word of God to be able to point people in the right direction, to show them uh, when they get off base, and to show them how to get back on track. That's what Paul is saying here. We as, as leaders, ministry leaders, need to have a thorough understanding. It's not just, you don't want to go to hell when you die, so trust Jesus. It's, you don't want to go to hell when you die, trust Jesus, and here's how. And once you do, here's what it's going to be like. Everything will not be perfect for you. You're not going to be walking on clouds the rest of your life. Read 1 Peter 4. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes your way. Let people know that. And let people know that they have an enemy. His name is Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren. So there needs to be a thorough method of explaining to people. I think about the, the importance when we travel. We were traveling this week of having a roadmap, whether it's a little electronic one or having the old-fashioned one you unfold. Let you know where you're going. That's what the Word of God does. And as we proclaim the Word of God, we need to do it in a, in a, in a, a way that, that shows people the full truth of what it means to follow Christ. It is not just about a fire escape from hell. It's not just about a home in heaven, though that is, that is great. It is, about, it is about honoring Christ with your life right now. Thorough. Secondly, 
Paul mentions this here as, as we lead people. We rely on spirit-led prayer. Spirit-led prayer. Look at verse 29. For I labor for this. Some translations say that literally means I labor to the point of exhaustion. I labor for this, striving in his strength that works powerfully in me. And skip down to verse 1 of chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. What a struggle is Paul talking about? He's talking about his struggle in prayer for them, his intercession for them, them him wanting them to, to, to know what it means to follow Christ. It's an athletic term. I don't know that this will ever happen, but I've, I've dreamed about being, being a part of a triathlon. You know the Ironman? You, you, you have to swim like two miles. I can't imagine doing that. You ride, you ride over 100 miles on a bicycle, and then you run a full marathon, 26 miles, whatever it is. And, and you watch those participants, and none of them look like they're having fun. From the, the moment they get out of the water, they're all having fun until the, the horn goes and they get in the water. But every moment, from the moment they go from stage one in the water to stage two on the bicycle to stage three running, they're in agony and in pain, and they're struggling. They're struggling. Why? They want to get to the, the finish line. And they celebrate at the finish line. You are now an Iron Man, whether you're in first place or 312th place. It's all about the journey. And it's this struggle, this, this agonizing. That's, that's what Paul says his prayer life is like. It is to agonize like a, like a triathlete, clinging to the promises of Scripture as you pray for others. One of the most blessed things you can do as you pray for others is take the letters of Paul whether it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and look at how he prays for the church. Pray those prayers for others. Pray those prayers for one another. That's exactly what he challenges us to do. He says, I labor to the point of exhaustion in, in spirit-led prayer, empowered by his spirit. Amy Pye shares a story about a woman who called herself a worrier. Some things happened in her, in her life. Her child was hurt, and she began to pray more, for her child, and she discovered through that prayer time that she moved from a worrier to a prayer warrior. That's what Paul is. He's not a worrier. He's not worried about the church at Colossae. He's not worried about them. He is powerfully praying and passionate about their walk with God. That's what God calls us to do. A spirit-led prayer for others. I believe that that is one of the, the, the keys to, to seeing a congregation grow is to to be passionate about prayer. And I thank God that, that's, that this church is that kind of church. I love reading about the great revival in New York City back in the 1850s. Uh, Jeremiah Lanfear got some men together and began to pray at lunch, and he met at a church there, and it grew from that. It was on Fulton Street, and it grew to go to another building, another building. Ultimately, multiple buildings in New York City, businessmen were meeting for prayer for an hour or more at lunch, and ultimately it moved from that across the nation where they were telegraphing prayer requests to one another. It's called the, something called the Third Great Awakening. It all started with just a bunch of men getting together praying. Paul says, I will intercede for you with passion. I will struggle for you. I will pray for you. I thank God there are people that pray for me that way. There are times when I call people and there's a need, and I say, I need you, a prayer warrior, to be praying for me about this. We need to be that kind of people. Relying on spirit-led prayer. And then Paul's ultimate goal, the third thing here in striving for the sake of others, is to strive for the goal of maturity. 
Verse 28, we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches assured of assured understanding and the knowledge of the mystery of Christ. Paul says, my goal as I pray, as I admonish, as I proclaim, as I teach, is that you would grow to maturity, to be encouraged, to be joined in love, to be enriched and enlightened. See, the goal of a ministry to others is that they would grow so that they could minister to others. We talk about that here, that that our goal is not just to make disciples at Coastal Oaks, but our goal is to make disciples who make disciples. So that that is reproduced, that you raise someone up and you lead them and you, you pray with them and they, again, raise someone else up and lead that person and pray with that person. I didn't get to go to my graduation from college because I moved on to seminary before I could, before I could participate in graduation, so I missed that. But when I got to seminary in Fort Worth and we wrapped up our four years of study, it was exciting for the, the, uh, the president to make that little speech, you know, or the chairman of the board, I don't know who it was, that made that little speech that said, I now confer all the rights of blah, 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 all the studies to the degree of this to all, on all of these candidates right here. And man, it was so cool to walk across the stage and receive that diploma and, and basically what they were saying is this person has done everything they needed to do. They've graduated, and we're letting everybody know they've done it. And I think that's kind of what Paul is doing here. It's, it's, he's saying, I want to I give that graduation speech for, you, speech for you, that I can say they were faithful, that they were obedient, that they, that they shared the gospel, that they strived for the gospel, and that they even suffered for the gospel. Having completed all the requirements of the degree, well done, good and faithful servant. They didn't say that at my graduation, but God's going to say that to us. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the calling of a ministry leader. If you don't know Christ, you need to be reconciled to him. If you do know him, you need to be sharing him and striving to lead others to him. Let's pray.